today we're starting a new leg of our journey and, uh, with a series called Hashtag Unselfie. Unselfie. We kind of live in a selfie generation, right? Like, we've seen selfies everywhere, like people sitting on the toilet doing selfies, in the bathtub doing selfies, at the beach, selfie with breakfast. I mean, we've seen them everywhere. Selfie with a celebrity, with the president. We've seen them everywhere. There's so much selfie. And there used to be this, this saying that, that went around, um, uh, you know, that saying some people viewed the world through rose-colored glasses or lenses. You've probably heard that. But now I think it's probably we, we more of us view life through like a selfie lens than we do rose-colored um, lens. And I don't think it's like something of our modern technological error that has all of a sudden made us um, self-absorbed. I don't think this is a modern era thing. I, I think, in fact, just the modern technological era has only revealed what's been happening in our hearts the whole time. That we, we're a little bit self-obsessed and self-consumed and uh, we kind of worship the ideal of, of, of self. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I took a philosophy class. If that sounds weird to you, it sounds weird to me too, but when I was in high school, I took a philosophy class, and uh, our professor would come in every day, and he'd have some like heavy-duty um, thing, like a uh, topic for discussion, and this particular day, his question that he brought to the class was, is there such thing uh, as an unselfish act? And so there was a little bit of silence in the room as he threw it out there. And then people begin to throw some ideas out there. They're like, yeah, like helping the old lady across the street. That's unselfish, right? What did you get out of that? And then another one uh, piped up and said, you know, like opening the door for something. What's so selfish about that? And to every uh, idea that came out there, the professor would just respond and rebut to why that was indeed still selfish. Well, you were just doing it um, so you'd feel better about yourself. Oh, you were just doing it so other people would think um, that you're doing. You, you really look for the applause of man. So there's always like some selfish act. And, you know, as just like a junior in high school, I didn't have much of a response for this big kind of discussion on selfishness. But I think now, uh, after having like, you know, 15 years to like let it sink in, <laughs> I, I feel like what I would respond to that professor is that really only God, God is the only suitable judge for the intentions of a man's heart. That, that we can't judge those things, but I also think there's something woven into the fabric of selfishness and selflessness uh, that kind of blows, that blows our mind. And, and selfishness is not something that's unfamiliar to us, right? I mean, it happens in all of our lives on a regular basis. What do you want for dinner tonight? I don't know. I don't care. Whatever you want. Okay, we're doing Mexican. Wait, not Mexican. Wait, I thought you said whatever you want. Okay, and then we just kind of pull. And so we see it in so many ways, whether it's ignoring the homeless on the street or it's ignoring our dirty underwear and not picking them up. There's this selfishness that rolls through all of life, and it's happening. It's pretty close to home. And there's this beautiful kind of um, paradox, if you will, this contrasting kind of mind-blowing thing that <clears throat> um, the, the more that we take, the less we have. And the more we give, the, the more we have it. it. It's kind of this, this thing that kind of blows our mind. And uh, the, the more that we're selfish, the emptier we are. And uh, the, the more that we're selfless, the fuller we are. It's this thing, this way that God has created it. And so I think my professor was on to something, but I think there's a far deeper meaning behind what he was saying. It's the way that God's created us. And so 
really for the next two months, like the next two months, all of November and all of December, it's going to kind of carry this unselfie theme for us as a church as in two weeks from today, we'll go out into the community and serve. There's a board out back and want you to sign up for a project to be a part of and sign up with your t-shirt size and we're going to get you a free t-shirt and we're just going to go out and serve and then we launch into uh, buy a tree change a life and it's all about just getting into our community and, and, and helping those in need here locally as well as globally and so uh, I'm excited about what these next couple of months are but it's going to be this kind of constant constant theme and so I, I think selfishness is something that begins to hit close to home because it's kind of practiced many times you know, close to home. And so today I, I actually want to talk about marriage and family and, and talk a, about how selfishness kind of breeds itself into our hearts. And what we were just talking about with this, Jesus actually talked about in Luke 9, 24. And he said this, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, <clears throat> but whoever loses their life somehow will save it. So it's in, it's in losing everything, it's in giving everything and acting selflessly that we actually receive more. Jesus explained this. But Jesus didn't like just declare this to his disciples in Luke 9, but he actually began to embody this. He actually embodied this. Paul picks up on that and shares that in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, and he says this, in your relationships, take on the mindset of Christ. Do you have it up there? I think you have it here. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Just for a second before we move on, just picture yourself if you were Jesus. I know this is a huge stretch, but picture yourself if you were Jesus and you had just like the power of God walking in this earth, which we do have the power of God, but we're not Jesus. Um, would we use it to our own advantage? What would you do? Um, there were some Gospels that didn't make it in because they didn't line up with the rest of them. And there were some about Jesus going around turning little kids into stone because he had like, you know, like these superpowers to turn people into stone. He didn't use it to his own advantage. It didn't line up with the Gospel that we know and read. What would we do with that? He didn't use it for his own advantage. He humbled himself. Have in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The, the Greek term here is kenoa, or from the root kenosis, which means to empty. Jesus emptied himself. He made himself nothing. So when, how are we supposed to do that in our relationships? We make ourselves nothing. John the Baptist said it very well that I must decrease so that he can increase. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I think the underlying problem behind selfishness is not selfishness, but the the underlying problem is pride. And what we see here is Jesus humbled himself. And I really believe that that pride and humility are really connected into the heart of the gospel and that we can't, can't enter into the kingdom of God pridefully. I, I think pride's the first sin that we see through the scriptures, and I believe it'll be the last sin when every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is, other way around, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. It, it, there's a humbling in that. 
uh, and then he walks us into, so uh, by becoming obedient, obedient to the cross. So even if today in this room you're not married or you don't have kids, the first line here, it says, is in your relationships with one another. So any relationship, this could be mom, dad, this can be employer, this could be brother, sister, whatever. You can apply it where you want, but I felt it necessary because this whole, whole year we started with a series called Welcome Home, and we've just been pounding that. Let's, let's talk about the home. And so I want to I talk about really two things. Um, one is how to save our marriage, how to save my marriage. Um, and secondly, um, how to not raise selfish brats, okay? So, uh, so I'm going to kind of give you two mini sermons today. And for some of you, um, you may say, hey, I'm, I'm, um, I'm not raising kids or uh, I'm not married right now. Again, uh, maybe this is future. Maybe this is healing for past stuff. I think you can apply it in, in so many different ways. But I, w- I want to kind of give you three things on each one of these on how to, how to save my marriage and then uh, three things on really how to not raise selfish brats. And, and maybe if you don't have any little kiddos that, that are turning into selfish brats right now, uh, maybe it'll, it'll save something down the road. Um, so first, how to save my marriage. Before we go into kind of the three things, uh, I think it's important that we start with the purpose, the foundation of marriage. Because I think at the root core of, of our, some of our problems in marriage is that we don't understand the purpose of marriage. In fact, our, our, our definitions of marriage, if we were to talk them out, would really be about finding something for ourselves rather than giving something. So even in our mindset, the purpose of marriage is selfish indeed. But here's, you, you'll find lots of definitions out here. This is just mine. To encounter, I'd underline reflect as well, to encounter and reflect the love and unity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Think about that for just a second. To encounter and this may be very different from a, a perspective that we have on marriage where it's to build a life together. And, and here's the thing, like, at the end of the day, sometimes um, the white picket fence and the ideal we had for marriage is not enough to keep trucking through. Okay, it's not, an, it's not enough. And so when we understand there's this much deeper purpose of marriage, but it's actually to help my spouse, to help my mate encounter God like, 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 I can encounter God on my own, but bringing the marriage together is actually an opportunity to encounter God through her forgiveness, through her showing of grace, through her being patient with me, but also to reflect that as we have that unity just like the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that was Jesus' prayer, not only in the marriage relationship, but in the church, that there would be that kind of unity. And, and that's what we uh, see Jesus praying in John, where he said, I, I pray, God, that they would be one as you and I are one. And what we see in Ephesians, that there's this, this oneness, that the two will leave um, their, their mothers and fathers and, and cleave to one another and become one. But I think in, in our ideas of marriage, it's, it's kind of the singles doing it together as opposed to true oneness. So I just want to get this started. This will begin to weave through all of the points today. Uh, so let's start. Let me give you just three quick things. It's all up on the version of the Bible app if you want to follow along with that. Here's the first one. This is a big one, how to save my marriage. Okay, you guys ready? Some of you guys are not married, and you're like, I don't know what to do here. But um, I think you'll find yourself uh, guilty of some of these things as well. First thing, how to save, save your marriage. Destroy the scoreboard. Destroy the scoreboard. Every single marriage counseling session I've ever had in my life that I, I was counseling folks, um, or pre-marriage counseling, said every single time I asked this question, do you have a scoreboard in your head of what they've done wrong and what they've done right? Do you have one? And literally, without fail, every single person that's ever sat in front of me, every single, both sides, one's not guilty of it, both of them are always guilty of it. 
Every single one. And I think we can learn to grow. But what we realize is that we are keeping records of wrongs. When 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, verse 5 says, Keep, love keeps no record of wrongs. But we're good at it. <laughs> but we're good at it. Why, why quit something you're good at, right? We're good at keeping records of wrong. And, and there's this ideal that we're on different teams. And, and there's this whole thing because we've started with this ideal in marriage that it's about me. Like I need to find someone who's going to make me happy when really it's about finding someone who makes me more like Jesus. And some of us right now, we might be in dating relationships in the room and you're looking for someone to make you happy and not make you like Jesus. And I'm just telling you, the, the making you happy, at some point, they're not going to make you happy, okay? And, and then what is the foundation for this relationship? But if you find someone who will make you more like Jesus, man, that's going to last. And that's, what, that's encountering God and becoming more like God. So we've got to destroy that scoreboard in, my mind, in, our, in our minds. And, and I think we're, we're so guilty of this on so many fronts. And we, we, we come in with a singles mindset, um, and, and it's us versus them. As opposed to, like, it's us fighting for each other. Um, so right now, just picture a scoreboard and just picture it exploding. Like, you know what it is. You know the score, too. <laughs> you know the score that's in your head for the past week. You know the score for the past month. What the, and we don't usually keep track of what they're doing right. It's just the things they're doing wrong. It's just the dirty underwear that they keep walking by. It's, it's just for, you know, you name it. Um, we've, we've got a record of it. But love keeps no record of wrong, and what you don't realize is, is that it's destroying your marriage. It's eating up this thing that, again, it, we think that they're working against us, and so by us judging them, we end up just getting into this really awful cycle, and we think that they're the ones that are messing up the, our marriage, but we're the ones really being critical, and, and we just have to leave all that behind and say, it's not me versus you, it, it's us for us. Like, we are on the same team uh, and, and so some of you in, in this room, this may not be with a marriage relationship. This may be with a coworker that you're keeping the score on. This may be with a sister that you're trying to match gift for gift to mom. Like, I don't know what you're, what you're, you're up against here, but we have those scoreboards in our, our, our minds. Um, I don't know if, uh, if your mom was like this, but always when, in, when she would give, gift, give gifts to us, she'd be like, hey, I'm doing this for them, so everything's even. She just wanted to make sure the score... And the older we got, we're, we're like, Mom, like, who cares? Like, no, I'm not keeping score uh, of that, and, and we ought not to as well in, in our relationships because it'll destroy us. So we've got to fight for that unity, fight for that oneness, and leave the single-mindedness. Some of you are married in the house, but you still think like a single person. And you're not. You're not. You're, you're one, and, and we've got to operate as that. We've got to operate um, like that if we're going to have healthy marriage. So first, destroy the scoreboard. Second, I'd say rewrite our priorities or edit our priorities. There's this popular thing that kind of goes around of God first, marriage, uh, uh, or God first, family second, right? I mean, you've probably heard this. It's kind of like a Christian kind of phrase, God first, family second. We just kind of throw that out there, but, you know, I, I don't think we need to reorder the things. I just think that we need to more define those things a little more. Because when we talk about family, are we talking about like, God first and Aunt Ethel second. Like, am, am I, I have an Aunt Ethel and I love her. And if you're listening, I love you, Aunt Ethel. But you're not second in my, in my life. Like, that's not the way my, I mean, we have, we have to kind of edit that a little bit because sometimes in our relationships, like, we're, like, kids come second and, like, because they got to be fed and they cry louder than your spouse, right? They cry louder and, and they can kind of hang on there and they can feed themselves. 
And, and so we begin to put them first. Um, and, and I'm not preaching preferences here. I'm not. I'm preaching this is the way God created it. He created the marriage relationship first. He didn't say, like, uh, you know, Eve didn't show up and she had all her kids and then Adam came along. No, it, it, was, it was marriage first. And then out of that, they began to love and take care of children. And, and I'll say this is a difficult thing. It's a, it's a difficult thing. Uh, and it's something that, that early on I, I said to Taryn, actually before we ever had kids, actually before we were married, I'm pretty sure we had this conversation. And, and, and I, I say to her, babe, I don't want you to turn into, I, I don't want you to turn into this weird mom one day. I just don't. Like I, like, I love you right now. I love you right now. I don't want you to turn into some shell of yourself. I, I, I'm falling in love with you right now. I don't want you to just lose yourself in a way that you don't find yourself. And I think motherhood and I think fatherhood in the same way, you, you empty yourself. Moms, let me just high five you. All moms in the air, high fives. You guys ready? High fives. Like some dads raise their hand. Come on, like get high, air high five. One giant air high five. I wish there was a noise. I wish I would have got the sound effect going. That would have been way better. <laughs> but moms, high five because you empty yourself every day. Like you do. Like rock on. If you're a single mom in this house, rock on because I know you're emptying yourself more than anybody probably else in this room on a daily basis to pour it out. Um, <clears throat> but that emptying ourselves should not bring emptiness. And when we empty our, ourselves in, in, in ways like, um, that, that empty us and we actually end up empty, we're missing something. And I would say that to her, babe, I don't want you to turn into some shell. I want you to pull, like, uh, turn into like, the more fuller, more inspired, um, more like, spiritually like, vibrant woman of God that you've called to be. I wanted her to encounter God more and more and not be some shell of herself. I don't want our marriage to get to this place where we look back and like, man, I just wish it was like it was 15 years ago. What happened to that? And it blows my mind, and, and, and so many of you in this room have, have, have gone through divorce, or, or your, your parents went through divorce, and, and I'm, I'm so sensitive to that, and, like, and I know that's so difficult. Like, I, I personally have not had to deal with it in my, my mom and dad, um, but I know that was so difficult. But, and it, honestly, it, break, it breaks my heart when, particularly, like, years down the road, if we, after, you know, you have kids, and you look back, and you're like, you, you marry, you, you're married for 10, 20 years, 30 years, and then, like, it just... Like what? Like what happened? Like, so, like we didn't just go from like I do to to like n nothing. Like something happened along that way, and, and I think it has to do with this. Some of it, some of it, selfishness, and some of the priority thing. Like I got to put my marriage second, both of us, and so we might need to rewrite and evaluate those things. Look back and say, Am I really investing in that? We're investing in so many other things in our life, but how are we investing? And, and the thing that on our thing, if we were really to get down and begin to look at the scriptures and begin to ask God, what should my priorities in my life be? That, and I know there's someone in the house that'll fight me on this, and it's very difficult to comprehend, uh, but, but I believe that's what the scriptures teaches. And honestly, when God began to stir uh, this in me after we moved to Jacksonville, so this was not that long ago, so I don't come up here as like a guy that's got all together. We still work through that. And I've shared this before. When we begin to make our marriage a serious priority was after kids. Like, because before kids, like, right, you can go to Applebee's at midnight and still, you know, have hangout and stuff. And now, like, that doesn't exist. Um, and so it gets harder, right? And, and the time where we began to put this, really put our marriage first, was at, and after we had kids, um, was when it was the tightest for us financially. Like, I'm not even going to tell you what we were living on, but it wasn't much. 
and it was a Titus, and I said, babe, I don't care. Like, we've got to do this. We've got to, and she knew it. We, we both knew it. It's got to be a priority in our life. We got to do what, I don't care. We'll cancel this. We'll cancel that. I don't care if we don't have cell phones. That's a priority. I mean, seriously, I don't care. Like, that's got to be that big of a priority in my life because I don't want us to turn into some shell and look back and be like, what in the world happened? How did we get here? How am I some shell of myself when we're supposed to be encountering God and reflecting the love and unity of God all along? And so I could, I could go on and on there. Just say, make a marriage a priority. Rewrite those. Don't, don't let, let kids and jobs and everything else get in the way uh, of, of that, which is supposed to be second and really a way that you encounter God. And you may be wondering, how come I'm not encountering God? Well, I'm not spending time with that person that's there to help me encounter God and encounter his grace on a daily basis. And if you are single in the house, let me just say this, and I'm not putting marriage in the church, but I would say if you're single, lean into your, your God, like godly community relationships of the church because Jesus winds it all together. Paul winds it all together that saying there's this deep, intimate relationship between, between um, a husband and wife and Christ in the church. And there is something about those needs in our life that need to be met and that don't need to be met by our kids, um, that they're met by, by um, godly friendships and the closest one that we can have in our life, intimate, intimate marriage. So God first, marriage second, kids third. Let me give you a third one, third one to save your marriage here. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's become a, a vessel um, of God, become a vessel of God, of and for God. Uh, becoming a vessel of God, if you were go into your kitchen right now, um, and there's probably some dirty dishes in the sink, come on, somebody be honest, there's some dirty dishes in the sink. You don't go for the dirty dish in the sink, do you? No, you go for the clean dish. Go for the clean vessel in there. Maybe not. Maybe you just keep using the same old dirty cereal bowl just because you're that lazy. And if so, like, we'll, we'll pray for you. <laughs> Mostly for your health, because that's gross. <laughs> um, become a vessel of uh, and for God. Um, we're to be a vessel of God first, um, and, and not, a, not a dirty vessel of God. Um, God used, God used a donkey in Scripture. God, God will use a lot of things. He doesn't need you to be some perfect version of yourself, okay? He sees the perfect version through Jesus, okay? So you're okay. Let's take a deep breath on that. Um, but God wants to use a, a, a clean and, and holy vessel. And I think we've got to, not the outside. We're good at cleaning the outside, right? You get cleaned up, take a shower for church, good, good for you. But many times we don't clean the inside of the vessel, and that's what begins to deteriorate not only our own spiritual walk, but um, our closest relationships as well. Keep that vessel clean. That means, men, don't be fantasizing about somebody else. It means, ladies, quit fantasizing about some, somebody else. Quit picturing yourself white picket fence with someone else. It's not your husband. Um, we've got to become a vessel of, uh, of God in our minds, first of all, in our hearts. Um, and then after that, we can become a vessel for God. Not after that, along with that. We become a vessel for God in our marriage, in that, in that spousal relationship. I become a vessel for God in the church. We become a vessel for God in our relationships. And we take on that sacrificial, putting my selfish desires away. Because again, that ideal is not going to last forever. And what if it doesn't hit that ideal, those expectations? But if we meet the most primary, the most important expectations for one another, to love and to serve and to be a vessel and, and to, um, to help them encounter God 
And, and together we will reflect that. We will reflect that to the next generation. Our children will reflect it to the community around us. And it screams, it screams the gospel. It screams the gospel. That, that somehow in this crazy world, as, as much as I fall down and fall short, she shows me patience. When I don't deserve it, she shows me patience. And when she hurts me, I choose to forgive and not hold that record of wrong. So we've got to destroy the scoreboard. We've got to get kind of the priorities rewritten a little bit. And then we become a vessel of and for God. Uh, I think they're all really important. Um, and it takes real submission in, in making ourselves open to what God wants to do in our life and in our marriage. So I kind of want to switch gears a little bit and now talk a, a, about um, kids. And I think selfishness and selflessness runs through all of this. It really takes what Ephesians 5.21 talks about is, you know, when he starts, when Paul is starting this whole thing about um, marriage and submission to one another, which people have, like, problems with sometimes, which I don't, I don't quite understand. But um, the first thing it says as he begins into that is submit yourselves to one another. And, and even before he starts talking about anything, anything about marriage, he's talking about a vessel as a, a, a holy being of God, a being a vessel for God. And so we submit to one another, and that allows so much to take on uh, in, in this thing. And so I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about how to not raise a selfish brat. Everybody said amen. amen. I know your kids aren't selfish, right? No, it's just mine. Um, and let me just say this. As I'm talking about selflessness, um, I, God's been t- tearing me up this week, okay? Just convicting me of, of things in my life in which I'm selfish, habits I've got to break, um, ways in which I operate that, that have to change. <laughs> And so I, I pray that through all of this, God's allowing us to kind of, he's pointing to some things in our life in which he wants to lean into and show his grace and bring us into a fuller, more meaningful um, part of our marriages and, and families. So I, how, how not raise a selfish brat? That's not really the goal, right? It's just not to raise a selfish brat. So let's talk a little more about the purpose of raising children. We talked about the purpose of, of marriage to encounter um, and reflect the, the uh, love and unity of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I'd say this about our kids, not just to not raise a selfish bride or for them to make it to the MBA, which would be awesome, but the chances are pretty low. Um, that's just personal. Um, to teach our children to know the incredible love of God and to grow in love for God and others. Very simply, we've got to lead them. We've got to lead them to know about the love of God. Like, if, if they don't make it to college, like, I, I hope they do, but if they don't, I've got to lead them to a knowledge of how much God loves them. More than anything else, like if they don't make six figures, at the end of the day, we'll survive. I've got to lead them to the love and knowledge of God. At the end of the day, that's, that's really the whole purpose of, of raising children. It's not just to carry on my last name, which is cool too, but it's, it's to pour the love of God in them and, and for them to have this opportunity to know God and to show others um, the same thing. So right in, right in our homes, the, the place as, as parents, we, we become the, the child's first evangelist. Like you've never considered yourself an evangelist, parents in here, but you were the first evangelist to your children to share the love of God with them. You may not consider yourself a pastor or have those giftings or callings, but you were the first caretaker and one who loves them when times are tough. You, you're the first pastor they ever know. Ever know. You may not consider yourself or have the gift of teaching, but you are the first 
teacher that they will ever know. And you pour into their life. And so you can begin to look at all other people who think they have all those gifts or calls. But you parents are first called to do those things and to pour those things into the life. To teach them and lead them to the incredible love of God. Let me give you three things quickly um, this morning. And the first one's a tough one. You heard this when um, you were in high school or middle school, and it was about drugs, and they said, just say no. Just say no, right? I feel like I want one of those t-shirts. If anybody finds one of those, I'll pay you back. Just pick it up for me. I want one of those shirts that say, just say no, um, because I I, I think I want to use it as a joke for church planners, like guys that want to come. They talk to me like, hey, tell me about church planning, and I'll just wear the shirt to meet them. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's terrible. I, I really encourage them, and Love to encourage them. Glad you guys can roll with me on that. <laughs> so, um, just say no. Like, sometimes saying yes is just the easy thing. Like, when we've emptied ourselves, when it's the end of the day, and they're asking for another piece of candy, like, I just don't have time. I know what's about to happen. You're going to whine. You're going to have this stupid little voice that drives me nuts. Sorry. That's what it is, but at least it comes, you know, it's like a pouty little voice, and then it's going to happen, and they're going to roll their eyes, and I just don't have the energy for it in the middle of Target or right before bed. I just don't have the energy. Just eat it and go to bed, okay? Like, just over it. And, and what we do, we don't realize what we're doing in those moments is we're actually being selfish. We're actually being selfish, and we just say, just do it. Because sometimes we're, we're making amends. We're, we're making amends for when we yelled at them two minutes ago and we know we, sh- we, we, we reached past the limit of where we should have gone. Sometimes we're making amends for the time we don't have and, you know, we're, we're trying to make amends for that stuff. And we're doing everything we can. And then in that moment, it's really about, I don't want to hear it, so it's more about me than it actually is what's best for them and what's good for them. And what we're doing, we don't realize it, is we're teaching them that they need this... Yes, 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 yes. And not only can they not receive no from you anymore, they won't tell themselves no. They'll go down and they'll, they'll find a line, what that, something you have taught them to not to do, but all they know is yes, 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 and they will cross that line every time because they don't even know how to tell their own self no, and you're not kind of setting that example so we've got to just say no sometimes, even though we don't feel like that's a selfish thing. We're really just doing it for them. You can have the candy. I love you. But really, when we begin to think about it, I am trying to, <laughs> I'm just like trying to make it go away. Just like stop the yelling. Like I don't want to deal with it right now. And so we have to wait through that. We have to wade through that. Feel that out. I'm not saying don't give your kids candy before bed. I'm not getting into that legalistic garbage. But I think we do have to settle in that and know that we live in this in, insanely entitled generation. Um, with you doing your very best, they will take on an entitled mentality. With you teaching them selflessness and not selfishness with servanthood and loving God, they will take on an entitled mentality, which means that they confuse want and need. They need a cell phone. Bro, you don't need a cell phone. They need a new car when they're 16. Bro, you don't. You can still ride the school bus till you get out of school. <laughs> like, they don't need it. No, you want it, want it. And it's important that we, we teach those things, okay? Uh, and sometimes we're making up for what mom and dad couldn't do for us. Sometimes we're making up for what's not there. And I understand all that stuff. But, but entitlement is just selfishness that hasn't been dealt with. 
ahead of time. And if you want to raise a selfish brat, but it's going to be far worse than that. Because you're not only doing yourself a disservice, you're doing them a disservice. You're doing their future spouse a huge disservice. You're doing their future employer a huge disservice. It's not just about you or it's not just about them. I love the way Rick Warren starts his book, Purpose Driven Life. This is not about you. We want to talk about the purpose of marriage and the purpose of raising children. It's not just about us. I love that. There's a reason that, caught, that book is like one of the most popular books all over the world. And I think that first line says it all. It says, you want a purpose? It says, not about you. But our self-discovery and our purpose, we go looking for it, but it kind of breaks up the paradigm that, that Jesus spoke about. Just say no. Um, secondly, set the example. Set the example. You could preach this part better than I could because you didn't learn by what your parents said. You learned by what they did. Some of you, as young parents, even in the house, you find yourself saying the same things your parents said. It's like, I knew, I said I was going to never say that. (laughs) You find yourself disciplining your kids the same way your mom and dad disciplined you, or your grandma, or whoever you were raised by. You you find yourself disciplining your kids the same way. Like, I I said I was never going to do that, and all of a sudden, mom and dad probably taught me opposite by words, but by actions. I just find myself just doing that. And I think all of us in our lives, we kind of go through and we learn so much from mom and dad, good, bad, and ugly, right? And we'll teach our kids good, bad, and ugly. And um, but we just try to, hopefully they're moving a little bit up and, and, and the ladder's just kind of going up each time. But um, we have to know that, that a child learns more by, by what we do um, than what we say. And so I just ask you, what kind of example are you setting? What kind of things... Um, in your daily life? Are you, are you setting an example of love for God? Are you setting an example first in your marriage? Are, are you setting an example there of what real love is? Um, or is it just arguing? Is it just bickering? Uh, is it encouragement or is it constant you nagging? Like, where's that at? Um, you're setting an example and, and that's what they're going to end up, you know, sometimes um, they'll, they'll find themselves walking into that. And so, we have to set the example. We have to set the example. And, um, and even still with that, in the, in the world we live in, uh, in this entitled generation, um, in this sick, sinful generation, um, you'll find them um, sometimes straying from the things you've poured in. You'll find them straying from the example that you've set before them. But know what the scriptures say are true, that when you pour that truth in, when you set that example, they may depart from it, but it will not depart from them. They may depart from it, but, but it will not depart from them. That means the words of truth, the life that you lived in from will not depart from them. It'll be a constant reminder, a constant example uh, of the life that God's called them to, to live. And so continue to walk in that. Continue to walk in that example. Uh, for many of you in the house, I know you've lived that example. And so uh, I cheer you on in that to constantly be setting the example in everything. And it's not just what I say. Uh, actually, a couple uh, weeks ago, um, actually beginning of the, the Florida season, the Florida uh, Gators, football season, their new coach really set the example well uh, for his players. One of his players did like a throat slash, and some of you guys saw this. He did a throat slash in the end zone, and this coach was not going to have it. And so this player, he's like their best player on the team, I'd say, comes over to the sideline, and he's just a high-discipline coach. Like He expects and demands discipline. 
And so this player comes over after just doing a little celebration, like it's over type thing at the, at the end zone, comes over, and the coach loses it. I mean, it made media sources all over. It was on USA Today. I mean, it was on everything, all the sports networks, losing his mind, demanding discipline from his players while not showing it. <laughs> kind of funny. Kind of funny. And maybe that's just a different culture in that, but I think sometimes we find ourselves doing the same thing, demanding things that we're not practicing. So set the example uh, on all fronts, parents, whether that's in reading the word and making God a priority uh, and taking care of yourself. I mean, you name it, you go through the list, set the example, they're going to follow it. And lastly, and I feel like this is, um, it's the most important, it's what it's all about, is to introduce them to Jesus. Introduce them to Jesus. My, my parents were amazing. They, 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 they taught me the love of God. They taught me um, serving God. They taught putting God first. Um, and I was still as selfish and prideful as I could be. Right? Um, and it was not until I had a genuine relationship with Jesus that selfishness was dissipated in, in the largest part. Like I still battle it, you know, like we all do. But it was meeting Jesus that ridded me of all all of that selfishness and prideful thinking and knowing that this life was not about me, but there was something far higher and greater um, than my selfish wants and needs in the very moment. Um, so a genuine, genuine relationship is going to rid us of that selfishness, and that's the greatest gift we can give to our children. So if we really don't want to raise selfish brats, if we really want to teach them the love of God, then we've got to begin to pour that stuff in, introduce them to Jesus. Don't, don't count on somebody else to do it. You're the first evangelist. You're the first pastor. You're the first teacher to pour those things in. And, and, and you don't have to have a degree to do it. You, you know, sometimes we think, like, only others are qualified for it. But God wants to use you, and he doesn't need you to have, like, all the deepest weavings of theological understanding together. He just needs you to be obedient in that moment and just speak the truth of love of God and the grace of God in that very moment. And that's introducing them to Jesus on a daily basis. And I think we get into these, some of the kind of tough and, tough and hairy questions about age of accountability and are they going to understand really crazy? Are they going to understand all this stuff? And here's the truth of the matter. Is I don't think the disciples understood it when Jesus came along and said, hey, come follow me. They didn't get it, bro. <laughs> they did not get it. The next three years told you they didn't get it the whole time. They were like, huh? Huh? Wait a second. And they were with him every single day, okay? And so we get in these questions about that. And here's what I know and what I've seen in my own life, and I, I, we've seen the disciples, is that every season, every year, every age, there's new revelation about the grace of God. It may start as a single mustard seed, as Jesus said, but it grows into this great shoot. So if all you've got right now is just to drop a little mustard seed, you know that Jesus loves you, sweetie, right? Like, I'm just saying this as if you had a daughter. You can call your son sweetie too, but um, you know that Jesus loves you. If that's all you, like, drop that seed in. And don't just do it once. Just drop those seeds in constantly, constantly, constantly. Water those seeds, water those seeds. Pray that God will make them grow because we can't, we can't make them. If you did make them, some of you were made to love Jesus as a kid. Somebody know what I'm talking about? You were made to love Jesus, had that work out. You probably kind of strayed from that for a little while, went, right? Went running. And it wasn't until that genuine relationship and you really got introduced to something that was real that it really stuck. So just drop those seeds in. Drop those seeds in. And maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you're not married in this house. But know in your life there's people surrounding you. And if you take on the mindset as Jesus did 
of humility, of selflessness. God wants to use you in a great way to introduce people to Jesus, to set the example for them of what true life is about and his fullness comes from. It's not by constantly taking to find out that that leads us nowhere and only to greater emptiness, but it's about giving and pouring and emptying ourselves out as Jesus did in our relationships. So many times our relationships are about what am I getting out of it? And God wants to flip that script on us that we might understand the fullness of his goodness. Jesus said this in the verse before the first one that we looked at, verse 23. We looked at 24 earlier. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Um, I, I don't know in here like what um, you're battling through. I, I, I don't know kind of what you're up against. Um, but I know there's a God that loves you deeply and wants you to experience his grace deeper and deeper. And as we just look at the cross, and we're going to come to the table and worship the Lord here in just a moment uh, and, and through music, and um, I think he wants to bring us back to that place where he emptied it all because that's the greatest example we've ever had. It's the fullest example that we could ever encounter. And so if you're in this place and you just find yourself honestly being selfish on so many fronts and feeling convicted of that, don't feel condemned. That's not from the Lord. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But if you feel convicted of that, like, join the club, okay? Join the club. Uh, And I just want to ask you to stand with me today. And we're going to pray. And, And maybe if you're married in the house and, like, the... The one thing that you need to do today before like your, your um, head hits the pillow is just to say, forgive me. Um, honestly, not just in like a little aside, hey, forgive me, I'm sorry about that. But just in a deep kind of reflective, I'm sorry, like I've, I've really made this about me and I'm, I've, I've missed it. I've missed it. And, and one of the most beautiful things you can do is respond with the grace and help them encounter the love and unity of God as we become one, have become one. God, all across this house are are people that are hungry for your presence, God, are people that are hungry to to see you at work in our lives, moving and being and having your way, God. And I pray right now in our marriages, you'd have your way. God, in our hearts, you'd have your way, God. If selfishness has crept itself in like the snake that it comes from, God, I pray that that you would just eradicate. God, I pray that you'd bring us back to the cross and and, and find our greatest example in Jesus to empty ourselves and know that our marriage is not just about ourselves, God, but it's, it's about you and them encountering you and all of us pursuing you. God, help us to work through the difficult conversations of how do we put our marriage first again? God, help us to work through all these things we're dealing with with our kids and and life, and co-workers, and just the stress of life. God, I pray that you'd somehow in this teach us to give in a way that, God, we find ourselves built up in you, emptying ourselves as you emptied yourself. God, we say yes to your will. We say yes to your way. Give you praise for it. Kim's going to come and invite us to the table today, and um, we'll worship together.